Text them this. Hey, what do you get on this quiz I took? Don't say test. No one wants to take a test, but quiz is like, ah, oh, quizzes are fun. The second sentence is screenshot it, ha ha. And then third, kylopez.com slash quiz. Now, I warn you, anybody who won't take it or writes back super suspicious, you don't even need them to take it. They fail. I already had one of my students who made netted, I don't know, he, he had a net. He went from zero in his bank account to netting three or 400,000 bucks in the last 12 months. And he invested in just people that were ripping him off. Somebody's like, dude, you should do this business idea. And he's like, I wired the money. And I, I, I talked to him the day after. I'm like, wait, you wired the money? Because you can't get a wire back very easily. And I'm like, you just lost your money. So I realized that... I've been working on building programs to help people increase their income, and it's working. People are increasing their income, and then I'm forgetting to share this side of the story, which is the people thing. All your problems in life will come from people. Getting cancer is a nightmare. I've never had that, so I don't want to underplay that, but if you look at the pain people feel in the world, not everybody gets cancer, but almost everybody gets screwed over. And so what I was saying to you, Armand, if you can, I use this quiz and you can almost drop it by 90% how often you're getting screwed over in dating, marriage. I had someone here at a conference and I did this. Boy, some of the people that people are married to, I am like, they're, I can, what's that, um, Zach, what's that Mr. T thing where he's boxing and he goes, can you predict what's going to happen in the fight tomorrow? I think it's Rocky. And he goes, I predict pain. That's what I wanted to say. This person's like, here's my spouse's dark triad. I'm like, I predict pain for your life for a long time. So you, practical tip. Here's a practical tip for you. If you have a business partner, send them to tylopez.com slash quiz. Let's try a little experiment. Right now, everybody text somebody they know. I'm going to give you the exact words that will make them write you back. So we'll do it together. Pull out your phone. It can be a business partner. It can be a spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend. And I'm going to take some of these, and I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Okay. So text them this. Hey, what do you get on this quiz I took? Now, hopefully you took it. If you haven't, you'll take it. Hey, what do you get on this quiz I took, period? Right there. I've perfected the message that actually gets 99% of people to write you back. Okay. Everybody got that? Hey, what do you get on this quiz I took? Don't say test. No one wants to take a test, but quiz is like, ah, oh, quizzes are fun. What if your wife's also got a degree in You need her to take it because people who have psychology <laughs> degrees oftentimes are the kookiest of all. Okay. Period. The second sentence is screenshot it, ha ha. That way they know to send it. Some people will take it and forget to send it to you. By putting ha-ha, it makes it feel like you're not grilling them. So, second sentence, screenshot it, ha-ha, period. And then third, tylopez.com slash quiz. Now, I warn you, anybody who won't take it or writes back super suspicious, you don't even need them to take it. They failed. Because, and I want to talk about this next because this is super important. Everybody have that? We're going to talk about the next subject. Don't Somebody, uh, people love to take personality quizzes. It's not that hard. Guys, before you go on any Tinder date, <laughs> and women, send this to people. If they won't take it, if they write back, I ain't taking this, yeah, it, you'll know. But most people will take it, 
So what, who, who sent off that text? Because I want to have a few funny ones. Okay. Let's talk about a trait in Hexaco. This is a different quiz called agreeableness, which breaks down into four factors. And when you're looking for employee, who here thinks they need an assistant, need to hire people or business partners? You want to understand this trait. It's not the only trait. There's also one called conscientiousness, but I want to talk first on agreeableness. So it breaks down in Hexaco in four sub-factors. So it is flexibility, patience, gentleness, and forgiveness. And I prime... So me and... Where is Alex Mayer? Alex? He's right here. So Alex and I hire slightly different. If you go up to San Francisco where our office is for MentorBox that we own together, he hires primarily for brains and aggression, okay? And sometimes when you meet our employees up at MentorBox, you will know what I'm talking about right away. It'll be like, how are you doing? (laughs) Why are you here at our office? I hire primarily for this trait, agreeableness. So if you meet most of the people who work for me, people will comment, wow, you have nice people working for you. Now, Alex is convinced you make more money hiring aggressive, mean, not mean, but aggressive, smart people. I still hire smart people, um, but I'd rather have a good life than try to eat and pull out the maximum amount of money in my life. I'm telling you, going for the maximum amount of your money in your life, in my experience, will decrease the quality of your life. And what good is money if you don't like life? Most of the problems that we're talking about are not solved by the federal government. They're solved by individuals. I mean, if you're talking about local education, for example, let's say that you have a state or a local. Thank you. Let's say that you have a state or a local that is teaching stuff that you think is wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, you as a parent, it's your job then to presumably pick up your kids and move somewhere where it's better. It shouldn't be a top-down structure. It should be, I don't like it here, I'm moving. Or my friends and I are forming our own school. Mm -hmm. Right. The the idea is that, the, the real truth is that educational failures you know, statistically speaking, tend less to be about the educational system than they tend to be about the presence of parents in the home, how much focus the family is putting on education, which is why you see certain immigrant groups really outperforming based on how these immigrant groups treat education. So Korean populations coming to the United States spend an awful lot of time focusing on education. The Jewish population, when first came to the United States, it's really fascinating when you look at the IQ studies. Uh, When when European Jews first came to the United States, they scored significantly lower on IQ tests than the rest of the general population. And within a generation, they were scoring a standard deviation higher, which shows, number one, malleability of IQ. But second of all, it's because European Jews actually cared a lot about learning and education and growth that way. The, the point is that the decisions that you make on a daily basis are the ones that are going to change your life. And looking to the federal government to fix your problems yeah. is not only rarely a solution, it's usually more of a problem. They're taking power from you, supposedly, to help you. You're better off, in my view, keeping that power to yourself if you can get it. Uh, localism, I think, is more of a solution than, than the national government stepping in. Look, there are federal rights that have to be protected. So, for example, uh, the 14th Amendment to the Constitution suggests that due process of law and equal protection of the laws uh, is something that has to be protected by the federal government. So if a state decides we're just not going to let black people vote, right, right, then the federal government has to come in and come stop in that, and obviously, say, under, yeah. the, under the Constitution. But those roles are, are incredibly limited. And I think that the stuff the federal government does now, I mean, they're regulating how much water goes through your toilet. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. So... I read an interesting book, and I want to switch a little bit over to race because we're talking about tribalism, and nothing's more tribal. So I'm somebody that's every—I'm basically—I did my 23andMe DNA test. I'm almost every ethnicity. 
I've decided I can make fun of everybody except Asians and Middle Eastern people. I'm 0% Asian, 0% Middle Eastern. I'm German, I'm Jewish, I'm part, I'm 6% African. So I got all Native American. So I, I can, I don't have to tread too lightly on this. Let's just be blunt about it. I think everybody who's sane agrees it has nothing to do with melanin in your skin. Black people, Latin people have more melanin because they came from parts of the world where if you, you basically get vitamin D poisoning if you didn't protect yourself. A lot of sun. I don't think there's anything on a DNA level, a level really different between ethnicities besides some minor aesthetic things. But are, are the cultures different in terms of is – so my last name is Lopez. Are Latins holding themselves back by how they – by how their general cultural and worldview is. Or I'm a 6% black. I'm not really that black, but are black people, because if we look in the inner cities, my dad's from Harlem, okay? It's basically black people and Latin Americans for the most part. Are we, or is my group of people, are we the sowing the own seeds of our own disaster? I mean, if, if there's a disproportionate number of people in a particular group who are not succeeding for any reason, one of the things that you obviously have to look at is the culture in which people are growing up. And that doesn't have to do, as you say, with race. It can have to do with location, right? There are places right. in Appalachia where there are a bunch of white people and they're really not succeeding. They're really doing poorly because there are cultural differences between Appalachia and other aspects of white America, right? You can do this in Los Angeles. Just drive to different areas with the same ethnicity and you'll see that people living in one area may differ from people in another area. The question really has to do with what is the what are the cultural obstacles preventing your individual success? And I think there are cultural obstacles that differ based on less race than, what than, than would be community. One? You, you mentioned having kids before, before you're married. Yes, yeah. so that's, that's an obvious one. So that, that, and that's been growing in every ethnic group, right? So the fact is that in 1960, 20% of black kids in the United States were born out of wedlock. Today, it's over 70% of black kids are born out of hmm. wedlock. The single greatest intergenerational predictor of poverty is being born into single motherhood. That's not hmm. suggesting that you can't succeed if you have a single mom. I was born a single mom. Right, so yeah. I mean, uh, you're an obvious example. But it is an obstacle that you have to overcome that you don't have to overcome if mom and dad got married. And that means that you can't do anything about how you were born, but you can do something about how your kid is born. Yeah. And that means that you should get married, presumably, before you have children. Again, that's not unique to the black community. You see in the white community, the, the single motherhood rate used to be 5%. Now it's 40%. So it's rapidly huh. increased. Uh, that is not, I think, good for children, I think, overall. Uh, and that's an obstacle that you have to overcome. Right? I think that, but how do you fix it? How do we fix This is hard. You know, it, but... I, I, this is one area where I actually don't think it is. Okay. Meaning that this is the, the idea that you just have to get married before you put that thing there without that thing on it. Yeah. Right? Like, just don't do that. Like, this is, this is where it comes down to individual agency. Yeah. Right? Don't have unprotected sex if you're not going to get married to the person that you're having unprotected sex to. Like, yeah. I don't think this is too much to ask. Now, I understand. I hold myself to a, a certain moral standard. I'm an Orthodox Jew. I was a virgin until I was married, right? It's a, it's a standard that I think worked, obviously. I've been married for almost 10 years now. I have two kids under the age of four, and we're doing great. But the idea that there's something preventing you, society is preventing you somehow from making this very personal decision, unless you were raped and had a kid, right, yeah. which is a horrific situation, obviously. But if, if you were just having consensual sex with someone, got pregnant and had a baby, then I'm not sure how that's anybody else's fault except for the two people who are involved with that situation. And the only way to solve that is to have people make more responsible decisions. I mean, just as who, whose fault is it if you don't save for your retirement? I mean, yeah. It's your fault if you don't save for your retirement, right? It's your money. What did you do with the money, right? So the, I think that the more we devolve 
agency to the individual. The more we say, listen, make good choices, you personally, right? Forget about culture, forget about what, what society says for you. Make decisions that are going to make your life better. The more people will do it and the, and the better they'll do. I think saying that these decisions are difficult actually does a disservice to, to people. I know I've seen a lot of people who hate to lose. Yeah. I might be the worst loser. Like, really? I, don't, I do not want to lose. So let me ask you, a lot of people say you should be, don't be a sore loser. But then I hear other people say. Fuck that. People say, oh, shh. Fuck that, bro. So you sore think be loser. a sore loser. That's bro, the key. if you're not a sore loser, you're not a winner. Yeah. I can take my L's when, I, when it's like a respectful L, but when I'm, Yeah. Awesome. When it didn't, when it was just something else hey, outside of your control. Y'all playing? Yeah. Come on, stop playing with me. I'm not okay with this. So let me ask you this: for an average person who just wants to get in shape, it's the new year, New Year's resolutions. What do you think is the best one exercise? Cardio. You want me to tell you honestly? Yeah. Diet. Diet. I can't even lie to you. You can do whatever you want. If you eat right, it eliminates a lot of stuff. If you eat wrong, you could do everything right and you eat wrong. Yeah. And it takes away. It's like it's like the the factor of like five to one. I could do five really, things right. Oh, okay. And I eat wrong, and all those five things get taken out. Hmm. You think it's that much? It's that much. And so, I've come to realize in my in my short time and being a professional, diet was everything. Yeah. So I'm working on my diet now. Well, are you going? What do you think? Vegan, paleo, like there's so many. I can't give up carbs. ramen noodles. <laughs> no matter what, <laughs> ramen noodles and hot Cheetos is a snack at any point. But other than that, other than that, I've given it up. You know, I've given it up. You just gotta eat right. Hey, let's go through this door right here. Sorry. You gotta eat right. Yeah. And, and that's really it, man. People know nothing. We taught nothing about happiness. It's just like, oh, be a good person. You'll be happy. No, you're not. You got to learn to manage anxiety. You have to learn to manage stress. These are things that you have to learn. Just like you learn how to read, how to do the multiplication tables. I'm telling you, the older I get, the more I'm worried about us humans, myself included. I'm just like, am I just like, am I real? Or I'm like a joke. Are there like, you know, the Greeks and the, the Roman, they believed in these gods that sit above us, like Zeus or Thor, the Nor Norse god, you know, you see the Thor. What was the Thor movie that just came out? It's a weird name. Yeah. Well, it's the Norse god. You had Thor. You had Frida is the name. I know that name. That's like the goddess of love. You had Odin. You had all these people. Well, sometimes I feel like that. I'm like, are there gods like laughing at us? Like, oh, watch the cycle repeat. Bob is an alcoholic. He's going to give birth. He's going to marry a dysfunctional woman. He's dysfunctional. Dysfunctional people usually attract each other. She's going to marry him. They're going to have kids. And those kids are going to just watch this. This is like a joke. Watch how the pain cycle just repeats. Oh, see this person who's born poor? They're going to give birth to kids. They're going to teach them nothing about money. And their kids are going to be poor. Ha ha. That, that's how – I know that's not how it is. But – I could see how the Greeks came up with that. 
that the god Zeus is up there laughing and occasionally they step in and it's just like, is that how the game has to be? Maybe that's how the game has to be nowadays. Maybe that's like, maybe there is a conspiracy. I'm not a big conspiracy theorist. I don't think it's an overt conspiracy, but I know wealthy people. They don't give a shit. You think they really care about people in the ghetto? No. They care about themselves and their kids. They go to night. I live here in Beverly Hills now. These kids go to nice private schools. Although half the kids become fucked up themselves. But the parents, they, the dad's not like, hey, son, let's go to the inner city and teach people how to invest in real estate like we did. No, they're going to teach their kids maybe. Half the parents don't even transfer what they know to their own kids. So if you're interested in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and want to learn how to make money with Bitcoin, I'm opening up a brand new Bitcoin crypto academy for you. Crypto is starting to fundamentally change everything from currencies to the very structure behind the Internet. And if you don't understand it, you will be left behind. Remember, if you had put $100 into Bitcoin in 2010, you would have over $100 million right now. I don't want you to miss out on the coming opportunities offered by Bitcoin in the cryptocurrency space. So I brought in the best experts in the game, the people that are teaching me and training me. And I'm going to share that with you because it's not too late to understand Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and the blockchain and to make money with it. So to sign up for my new Bitcoin Crypto Academy and learn how to invest, how to make money in this new exciting space, I'm gonna open up room for a few of you to have early access to the new online mentor mastermind. So go to tylopez.com slash Bitcoin podcast to learn more. So I'm testing the mastermind. So I'm just gonna let a few of you in at a low price and uh, it's already filling up quickly. So if you want to get in, I'll let a few of you in. So go to tylopez.com slash Bitcoin podcast, all one word, tylopez.com slash Bitcoin podcast. If the course is closed, when you get to the page, put in your name in the waiting list. You missed out on the first round. Uh, and if you see it, welcome to the group. I'm glad you didn't procrastinate. Okay, back to the show. Maybe there's a chance. Maybe we can enlighten ourselves or each other by studying the tactics and the techniques of the outliers. You got to study outliers. That's something we don't get. The outliers. What is that? Like, why is the Dalai Lama, if they put him on an fMRI machine, why does he have such lower stress? What's this man doing? Well, we know he meditates three to six hours a day. Probably not practical for everyone to do that, but maybe it's like, maybe we should all. There's an app, Headspace. Maybe we should all be on Headspace 15 minutes a day. Why don't they take, you know, there's all these school shooting shootings. Maybe if you took 15 minutes out of the dipshit curriculum we go through learning nothing, people know nothing. You want to argue with me that? I will go through any country in the world and, I, and you bring me, I don't care what country you're from, let me quiz your students on practical life things. Do they know how to repair credit? Do they know how to buy a house? Do they know how to do their taxes? Do they know how to start a business? Do they understand marketing persuasion? Do they understand? No, they ain't all going to fail. Some people go, oh, America's so far behind. No, they're all going to fail. I've been around the world. I've been to 50, 60 countries. There's no place where I go, whoa, everybody here is fully equipped with life. No, because everybody's doing the same educational system. Slight moderate, slight variations. Oh, Finland does the model country. It's not the model country. My ass, I've been to Finland. No offense to Finland. It's not worse than America, but it's not better. It's all the same shit. You think Asians, people are like, oh, Asians are so smart and Americans are so stupid. My ass. Where's the Nobel Prize coming out of Asia? No offense to Asians, 
But Asians are still just doing, they're stuck in the same modality of teaching, which is lecture people, don't have mentors, don't have apprenticeships. That's how you learn. You want to learn to build a house? Go work with a contractor who's been doing it 40 years. Get your damn hammer, put it in, go to it. You want to learn how to live life? Find somebody who's lived life the way you want to live it and follow their recipe. Completely lost. But anyway, I was saying, when I was talking about the education system, there is a way, there is a solution. You got to take back what should have been given you. What's your birthright? There's a birthright that we should have all had. That every parent that said they loved us, love is a very stretched word in the modern world. Love means like, I have emotions to you, but we know emotions are fickle. Ever dated someone who said they love you and the next week they break up with you? They didn't really love you. Love is a verb, not a sentiment. Love is action. So we go through this parenthood where it's like, I'm your mom. I love you. No, you're like more like a parental guardian. You didn't quit me with shit. Maybe you didn't have it. So maybe it's the repetition of the cycle. But the cycle's a bitch. I can tell you that. Trust me. I've been trying to break it my whole life and I'm still stuck in it. So it's not that easy. I'm not preaching at against anybody. I'm voicing my own frustrations at this nasty game of life, which didn't have to be nasty. It didn't. It didn't have to be this way. First of all, teach parents a different uh, definition of love. Love is not keeping your kids off crack cocaine and hugging them all the time. I know that's this big movement now. Tell your kids you love them. That's great. No, no downside to that. But you can't just do that. You think that alone equips your kids. Love is sending your kids into the world with the major foundational life skills done, mastered, and practiced for 10 years. score that you can possibly get is 850. So 850 is a perfect credit score. Um, and then we're going to quickly talk about what uh, what constitutes an 850 score, like what you have to do to get to an 850. So if you've already downloaded Credit Karma, if you're looking at it right now, um, go ahead and just open up, tap one of the scores. So you can tap on TransUnion or you can tap on Equifax. Um, you can go down and you can see something called Credit Factors. Uh, there'll be a little six blocks uh, I would write on the board if I could, if I'm over there. But I'm going to try and help you guys visualize this. Imagine like a little pie. The first thing that most people think that affects their credit score is payment history. You know, you're making on-time payments. If you pay on time, then you have a good payment history. Don't miss a payment and your score is good. Like that's very easy right there. That counts for 30% of your credit score. Second thing is, is this is where a lot of you guys probably ding up your credit score. Um, a lot of things, you know, the school system doesn't teach us. You hear rumors. Your uncle tells you something. Your friend tells you something. Hey, just use as much of your credit as possible. As long as you pay it off at the end of the month, you're good. 100% uh, false. What you need to do is there's something called credit card utilization. And so the best way to put it is say you have a $1,000 credit line. $1,000 credit line, if you do it, if you spend $100, you're using 10% of your total credit line. You're spending $500, you're using 50% of your total credit line. You want to keep your credit card utilization under 9%. So, you know, uh, Uncle John, Aunt Sally telling you to, you know, you know, open one credit card and just use it, pay it off at the end of the month, you know, and you have your $500 credit line. 
and you're maxing out, you're spending $480 and then you just wait till the end of the month to pay it. It's actually hurting your score as much as missing a payment. And I'm going to repeat that. It's hurting your score as much as missing a payment. Like if you just ignore, um, you know, a bill and you just don't pay it, that's how badly it hurts it. So if you're, you know, if you have a thousand dollar credit line and you're spending $940 and then you pay it off, you may have paid it on time, but your utilization is like 90% and that's really bad. It hurts your credit score. So how do you get around that? Say, you know, you open a credit card and you have $500 or a thousand dollar limit and you're trying to spend $3,000. Um, so what you can do is pay it off treat it like a debit card. So if you have a $500 credit card, spend $30, pay it off immediately. Just pay off $30. Don't wait till the end of the month. Don't wait till the end of the uh, statement period. Just pay off $30 and then you're good to go. Um, and then, you know, you go out, you buy some McDonald's, $12 there. Cool. Pay off $12. Go buy yourself a TV for $300. All right, cool. Pay it off $300. Um, so when your bill comes, it should always just say zero. And the bill is what actually gets reported to the credit bureau. So, you know, you could have spent $100,000 in the month and you had a $500 credit limit um, and your bill could be zero. And that's, get, is what end up, that's what ends up getting reported to the bureau. So, you know, quick tip for you guys right there. If you've never really been handling credit, pay it off immediately before the statement ever hits. Pay it off. Make it like every time you spend money. Just pretend you're like treating it like a debit card. Just transfer money immediately from your bank account over to it. Good rule of thumb, don't spend money that you don't have. Right? I have a $3 million credit line. I do not spend anything like I have $3 million in my bank. Right? So I have $3 million. If I only have $10 in my bank account, I'm only spending $10. If you have a billion dollar line of credit and you only have $10, guess what? You're only spending $10 because if you cannot figure out a way to pay it back, interest is going to kill you. Missed payments is going to kill you and, you know, not being able to hit and then the utilization will kill you because the interest rate stacks up and builds and then your utilization. Goes up. So, you know, good rule of thumb, spend money that you only money that you have physically in your bank account, not, hey, I'm going to get a paycheck next week. So I'm going to go ahead and spend more and then uh, just pay it off for my paycheck. It's a really bad habit to get into. The third thing, it's uh, derogatory marks. So derogatory marks, it's after you miss a payment and then you continuously miss a payment and then it gets sent to collection. When it gets sent to collections, uh, that's what that's when, you know, it gets sent to collections and that's when you get hit with a derogatory mark. Derogatory marks, just as bad. Hurts your score just as bad as, you know, having high utilization or missing a payment history or just missing a payment. So payment history and derogatory marks kind of go hand in hand. Uh, if you're wondering where I'm getting these terms from, they're literally on Credit Karma. You go to Credit Karma and it literally tells you, you know, like credit card utilization, derogatory marks, payment history. These are all things that affect your credit. Um, and it's free. doesn't hurt your credit score. Um, I mean, I'm not repping Credit Karma at all. I'm just telling you guys this is the site that I use to check my credit report where I know, you know, with, if something ever gets reported that's not supposed to be there, I know immediately because it's always updating and pulling uh, new reports from TransUnion and Equifax. Um, and if you're wondering how to see your Experian, which is your third credit report, go to Experian.com. They give it to you for free. They won't give you a credit score, but they'll give you the report, which you can at least know, like, you know, what's happening on the credit report. You won't know the score, but you'll at least know, you know, the meat of it. And that's the most important part. So then we have the age of credit history. Age of credit history isn't as high of an impact. It's more of a medium impact thing. Can't really improve it. Can't really help it. Um, unless you don't have a credit card. If you don't have a credit card, this thing is probably going, is hurting you right now because the age of credit history is 
how long your oldest account is, and then it's the average of the oldest account and then all your other accounts together. So uh, my average, my age of credit history is one year and one month. So total, my oldest account is only a year and one month old. Actually, no, that's not true. My oldest account is my oldest account is coming on to two years. So it's one year and eight months. So the average age, there's two things you have to worry about. So there's your average age and then your oldest account. So to give you an idea, if you open a credit card today and then you wait a year, then your oldest account is one year old. And then a year from now, if you open a second credit card, your average age becomes six months because it's the average of one year and zero because you just open a new account a year from now which will be zero years old, and then you have a credit card that's one year old, six months. You want to have an average age that's longer than nine years. So getting an 850 credit score is extremely difficult because it's not just you do all the things right. You also have to wait 10 years. You have to wait nine, nine years or more. So getting an 850 isn't a reasonable expectation. It's a very patient thing to do. It's a very, and that's the thing. Credit is something that you don't just do for you know, three months or six months or a year, like, oh, like I'm getting super into credit. It's something that you're gonna keep with all your life until the day you die, because you're always gonna need credit. Whether you're you know, using credit to get a car, you're using credit to get a house, or you're using credit to start a business, whether you take out a business line of credit and take it as a personal guarantee. So you, know, you have to have good credit to have open your first few lines of business credit. Uh, if you don't have good personal credit, then you know you can't open your business credit. So don't think of credit as a way to make money. Think of it as a tool to do anything else in the world, right? Between your personal life, between business, all things are important here. And then you have your total accounts. Total accounts, you actually want to have more than 21 lines of credit being reported. So uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily a line of credit, but it has to be an account. So what that means is, uh, if you have, uh, you know, a car loan, if you have a mortgage and then you have like, you know, seven credit cards and then you have a utility bill and then you have your internet, all these things added together, you should have 21 or more accounts. And, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, don't open a lot of credit cards. It hurts your credit score. Um, let's look at the two factors that we just talked about or the other few factors that we just talked about. Um, correlation does not imply causation. So, you know, opening a credit card may seem like it's hurting your credit score. In reality, all it's doing is one, it decreases your average age of credit. But, you know, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago because, you know, if you open a credit card 20 years ago, you would have a 20 year average age of credit. So the next best time to plant a tree is now. So you want to open as many credit cards as you are now if you aren't planning to get a mortgage, if you're not trying to do something big with your credit. So that, you know, in three, four, five years, those credit cards that you open today are three, four, five years old, helping support the rest of your credit report. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, when you open a credit card, it gets, it, you get things with a hard inquiry. So this is this, what we were talking about earlier. Checking your uh, credit report does not hurt your credit score if it's for yourself. You know, if it's just, it's under the FCRA, it's a it's Fair Credit Reporting Act, it's your own, in your own right to be able to know what your credit is. It's a law. So you go to Credit Karma, go to Equifax, go to Experian, go to TransUnion, uh, go to Free Annual Credit Report. Uh, I think that's the site, freeannualcreditreport.com. All of these things, they, they give you your credit report free. doesn't hurt your credit score. What does hurt your credit score is when you're actively seeking credit and checking your credit report for that. So when you apply for you know a Chase card or when you apply for a, you know, 
a loan or a car loan or a mortgage, that results in a hard inquiry because you're actively seeking for credit. You're actively trying to borrow money. And when that happens, you get things with a hard inquiry. Hard inquiries, you know, Uncle John, Aunt Sally tells you, hey, you gotta, you gotta you know, be careful with open credit cards because it hurts you. And they emphasize on the hard inquiries when we just talked about, you know, credit card utilization actually hurts you more than anything else. And that's what is going down a lot of people's credit scores. Hard inquiries fall off after a year. After a year, they don't hurt your credit score anymore. And the, at most, they only ding your scores like five to six points versus a high credit card utilization could drop your score by like 50 points. So again, it's just a lot of misinformation being spread around. The generation before us, before me, they were terrified of credit. So, you know, they created this like this fear mentality of just not touching credit and thinking that if I don't touch my credit, it's going to be good. Right. And in actuality, it hurts your credit a lot more than it helps. So best thing to do if you're watching this right now, go ahead, go open a Credit Karma account go at least check, know where your credit is, because at least you know where you're starting from and you can make a game plan from there and moving forward. Right. Because if you don't even know where you're starting from, how can you set, possibly set any credit goals for yourself? Physical fitness, a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to go on my treadmill and I'm going to take a walk with my dog. And that's all important. But there is something magical about weights. My dad was a pro bodybuilder. And he literally, I remember growing up, my dad did not age. When he was 60 years old, he looked like he was 30. I posted a picture on my Instagram when he was in his 40s, uh, and, I, and people were blown away, like, wow, how old's your dad? And I remember my dad hurt his thumb bench pressing when he was about 65, and within two years, he basically completely aged. He looked his age. I remember seeing him. I, I was living out of state, and when I came back to see him, I was like, what happened? And my brother's like, he hurt his thumb. He couldn't lift weights for two years, and it's like his body just was, it was almost like weightlifting was a signal and it just signaled to him, you're old now. And he just got old. Does that sound outside the bounds of, of rational thought, what I'm thinking? No, not at all. So what is, what is the idea behind the weightlifting programs is that you're building a tissue, the muscle tissue. And that muscle tissue also signals sometimes more release of hormones to create that muscle build. Yeah. So, so that is effective. I mean, there are, you know, these the sort of exercises that are related to interval training or doing things where you get into an anaerobic, anaerobic threshold increases supposedly levels of testosterone, human growth hormone naturally. Yeah. So in essence, you're boosting, you're boosting your levels with testosterone where you don't get that with cardio necessarily. Right. But the cardio exercises just do more of your heart training and conditioning. Yeah. But the actual increases in hormone signaling for building muscle are related to those weightlifting exercises or those interval training when you become anaerobic.